the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. No, you look at the headline news of the last, my goodness, six, eight months or so, and it just seems like no matter where you turn, we're seeing incidences of racial unrest, (laughs) massacres in churches, economic imbalance, social strife, on and on the list goes. Hard sometimes, perhaps, to see hope and justice and reconciliation in the midst of this turmoil. A lot of people, I think, have concluded that we're, if not in, we're certainly rapidly heading toward the end days. And meanwhile, we wonder, well, what does that mean for us from a faith perspective? How can we better find places in which not only God is working to bring about healing and restoration, but most importantly, feel as if the work, the job that we do is significant toward that end. Warren Smith joins us now, Vice President of World News Group, and perhaps you are a subscriber to his wildly popular World Magazine. He's authored more than 10 best-selling books, including the most recent, Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People. And Warren, great to have you on the program. Great, great to be on with you. Thank you so much. It is hard sometimes not to be discouraged, and just as we sort of uh, reach the point that we seemingly have processed the significance of yet another major negative news event. Uh, Sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, here comes one more. And I think for a lot of people, not only do you kind of get a sense that your your hope meter is is wearing out in all of this, but that you're you're wondering, well, where exactly is God in all of this? And, And is there any hope in which I can play some kind of small role in engaging in some kind of significant, important change in our society today? Well, you're exactly right, Craig. And, you know, it, it, you don't have to look any farther than the headlines. That's exactly right to see um, bad news. I mean, the Supreme Court rulings have been really discouraging to a lot of Christians. Uh, we see ISIS uh, just murdering Christians all over the Middle East. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, there's plenty of reason uh, to, um, to say uh, that we live in serious times, but uh, we, uh, as Christians, are not allowed to despair. Despair is a sin. Uh, despair means we've given up hope, and of course, Christians of all people should be people of hope, uh, faith, hope, and love. Jesus, said, or, or uh, uh, the Bible says, not Jesus per se, but the Bible says, or the good, the three chief Christian virtues. And so that's one of the reasons why John Stone Street and I. I wanted to write this book, Restoring All Things, because 
as we have been looking out at the world at all these negative uh, stories, we've also been, been seeing something just quite remarkable, and that has been God's people doing God's work in the midst of all the chaos that's going on around us. And when God's people do that, when God's people just don't get distracted and continue to engage in God's work, which is loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves, it's amazing what's happening. We've seen communities transformed. We've seen lives rebuilt. We've seen entire cities uh, transformed, as as in the case of Atlanta or Detroit. um, uh, Atlanta, an organization called SCS Urban Ministries, and in Detroit, a ministry called Emmanuel Temple, which are two organizations that we profile in Restoring All Things. So we wanted to tell some of those stories because we felt like Christians did need some hope in the midst of these chaotic times. So at the end of the day, is it less about the news events and more about perspective? And I, and I asked that question because, you know, when we were kids, uh, we all were raised in school to uh, to master the three basic R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Something always told me that one of those words at least was misspelled. <laughs> That's right. But from, from, a, from a Christian perspective, there's another set of three R's that I think we can't forget that, in fact, is foundational to our very faith which is what leads me to this question about perspective, and that is another set of three R's, redemption, reconciliation, and restoration, which is foundational to God's plan for not only mankind here on earth, but certainly the role that, that, uh, that Christ played in world history. That, that's exactly right. You know, in fact, I'm glad you brought up those three R's because there are, in fact, many more than those three R's in Scripture. We, in fact, we begin, near the beginning of the book, we talk about the rewords of Scripture, and you've mentioned three of them uh, there. Uh, too often, however, Christians focus on another set of R's, which are words like rebuke and resist and uh, engage in those activities that um, are trying to hold back the tide of chaos, whereas uh, I think if we focus more on the three R's that you mentioned, R's like reconciliation and restoration and redemption, uh, we we become people who um, not only are actively engaged in the work that God is calling us to do, this, this activity of, of restoring all things to himself, but we are also presenting a witness to the world that I think they will find compelling. You know, it's it's one thing um, to say that Jesus saves and Jesus uh, transforms and Jesus redeems, but if our lives don't show that, Craig, it's, that argument is not convincing. That declaration of the gospel, however true, is not convincing. But whenever we are actively engaged in the process of reconciliation, not only are we declaring the gospel, but we are demonstrating the gospel in our lives. And I think that's a much more convincing proclamation of the gospel. Well, in many respects, too, don't we find that message uh, far more impactful in the middle of chaos? And and I ask that question because, you know, let's use the example of the lives of any of us. If we pause for a moment and think, you know, if, if you were doing well, you marry the perfect wife or husband, 
husband, you had the perfect job, you had the perfect amount of money in the bank, you have perfect health, uh, all of it, a lot of people could argue, well, you know, for what do I really need God here, at least on earth? I mean, yeah, that fire insurance thing on the other side, yeah, that works out okay, but here in the here and now, I'm doing pretty well. But for most of us, our testimony is that in the midst of the pain, the agony, the chaos, when our life seemed to be falling apart uh, right before our eyes, there stepped in God with a message of healing and reconciliation and redemption. And so oftentimes, doesn't God work best in the middle of the chaos that sometimes we as Christians try to push back against and prevent from happening? And I wonder if sometimes we might accidentally be short-circuiting God's plan, because in the midst of that chaos, doesn't His grace shine the brightest? Well, I, all I can say to that, Craig, is amen and well said. Uh, you know, and, and, and throughout history, I think not only in our own individual lives, which you've just identified, but throughout history, we have found the Christian church thriving whenever the world around it was in chaos. We tell stories, for example, uh, from the second and third century, whenever the great plagues, um, uh, diseases were just just ravaging cities, and people were running out of the cities uh, into the rural areas just to keep themselves away from danger and disease. But it was the Christians who ran into the cities to care for the sick and the dying, many times sacrificing their own lives in that process. But it was such a powerful witness that we saw Christianity spread dramatically in the second and third centuries. Uh, Even recently in the Ebola epidemic that we saw in Africa, uh, I was amazed at the doctors that that, um, got Ebola and that were put into the quarantine, and a couple of them even died as a result of their work there. And whenever I found out about their biographies, one doctor after another, one healthcare worker after another, were committed Christians working in that environment because they were motivated by the love of Christ and love for their neighbor. So this has been the story of the Christian church. I think it's a story that we sometimes do tend to forget in our prosperity here in America, but uh, it's one that we need to remember. Well, especially since at the core, if we talk about this from the, the viewpoint of it being a message of redemption, it suggests that there needs to be something from which one is being redeemed, does it not? Yep. I mean, yeah, is, is, the, is the message of heaven all that powerful a one, uh, absence the existence of hell? I, I, would, I would suggest probably not. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, the great theologian F.F. Bruce, Bruce once said that uh, the, an, an understanding of sin is the beginning of salvation. And, uh, you know, it's important that we do um, understand that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And it's it's awful, also easy for us Christians to get a little self-righteous about where we sit versus our neighbor. But, you know, our neighbor, Jesus died for our neighbors, even the one, the neighbor that we don't like, you know, just as much as Jesus died for us. So I think that, um, you know, what you just said there is such a powerful component of this whole uh, understanding of a Christian worldview, which is that we do live in a fallen world, but that God loves us so much that he sent his son, and when we accept him as Savior and are redeemed from our own sins, we get to participate with him in this process that the New Testament describes as restoring all things uh, to its former glory. 
No, I, I wonder out loud if sometimes maybe this is not an example of um, spiritual laziness, maybe even a little bit of spiritual haughtiness. Um, that sense of reveling in the bunker mentality that, well, everybody's against me, woe is me, look the way that they're attacking me, and so uh, we're doing uh, perhaps a yeoman's job at playing the victim here. Um, and so maybe some people sort of revel in all of that as opposed to saying, look, in the midst of all this turmoil, we got some work to do. And uh, in the midst of this turmoil, God can do some amazing things in terms of extending that message of redemption, reconciliation, and restoration in and through me. We'll talk about that as our conversation continues. Warren Smith, Vice President of World News Group, publisher of World Magazine, author of more than a dozen best-selling books. We're talking about uh, finding God's redemption in the midst of a chaotic world. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Warren Smith, our guest today, Vice President of World News Group. He publishes World Magazine. He's the author of more than 10 best-selling books, including the most newly released, Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People. And maybe one of the big operative words in that book title, Warren, is Everyday People. We look, as we intimated at the beginning of our conversation, at the headlines and what's going on in terms of racial unrest, economic imbalance, social strife, all of this taking place. It's It's hard, obviously, uh, and frustrating for a lot of people. And then to maybe overwhelming in the sense that people feel as if, well, you know, they'd like to be involved in being an agent of change and and affecting God's plan for uh, redemption, reconciliation and restoration. But maybe they feel like, well, as overwhelming as all this is, though, isn't my work largely going to be for naught and, and, and ultimately insignificant? Well, you know, it's a really great question, and that's why we wanted to tell stories of everyday people, as you said, uh, Craig. You know, uh, John Stone Street, uh, my co-author, uh, works a lot with Eric Metaxas uh, on the Breakpoint Radio uh, program. Eric has written books, uh, biographies of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and William Wilberforce, who ended the slave trade uh, in Britain in the 19th century. And it's easy to look at these great heroes of history and say, Gee, I'm just little old Warren Smith. You know, I'm not uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer or, or um, Eric McCaxis even. Uh, so what can I do? And what we discovered in, in our searching around for stories and the stories that we reported in the book uh, were stories of, of individuals not doing great things, but doing small but really important things that had an impact over time. I'll give you a real quick example, and that is, look at the life movement in this country, the pro-life movement in this country. Um, Wobie Wade happened in 1973, 1.3, 1.4 million abortions in this country per year at the peak back a number of years ago. But what we what has turned the tide, If you today, abortions, the number of abortions are going down, the younger generation is more pro-life than its parents. That's what public opinion surveys tell us. How did that happen? And, and a part of the reason uh, it happened was because of the pregnancy care center movement in this country. In thousands of communities all across America, uh, men and women have gotten together just to help other men and women in their local communities. Uh, this movement has sprung up spontaneously. It wasn't uh, a top-down movement. There wasn't somebody in Washington, D.C. or New York City or wherever saying we, we need to go uh, form 2,000 pregnancy care centers all across America. And yet, when we look 
you know, 20 or 25 years after that movement started, that's exactly what we, what we have. It's, it's Christians imitating other Christians doing good work, which has caused the Pregnancy Care Center movement to spread across this country and has created what we like to call this army of compassion that, that says to the world, you know, Christians are willing to put their money where their mouth is. Yes, they uh, they are engaged in pro-life activism. They are maybe engaged even in protests from time to time. But that's not all they do. They are also really caring uh, for men and women in crisis situations every single day in thousands of communities across America. It's made a huge difference in the life uh, issue in this country. And I think that kind of a movement could make a difference with poverty. It could make a difference with marriage. Uh, and uh, we, the good news is we do have that one model. Uh, the other news, I won't call it bad news, but I'll call it the other news, is that we still have a whole lot of work to do. Well, and you know what strikes me about even that example that you just shared, Warren, um, many people have often heard the story that from space, one of the more spectacular man-made um, edifices or, or uh, items that can be seen from space is the Great Wall of China. And it is from photographs that perhaps you've seen an amazing sight to behold from so many miles up. And there you can very clearly make out the wall snaking its way uh, through that section of China. What's ironic about this, uh, that is, having seen the wall, been on it, walked on it, uh, it it is enormous. It is breathtaking. It is an incredible uh, work of, of feat to be sure. But you know what it's made up of? Individual small bricks. Yep. Any one of yep. those bricks by and of themselves would not even be a speck on planet Earth that could be identified from space. But all of those bricks assembled together creates this incredible edifice that has such an Im- impact that it can be seen from space. And it, and it, it, it dawns on me, Warren, that much the same is true of our efforts here, that you know, none of us singularly are going to calm racial unrest or uh, you know, bring about uh, fairness in, in economics or uh, settle social strife of an, uh, singularly on our own, but together doing a lot of small things together can really equal doing something great and tremendous that can have unbelievably large and eternal impact, can it? Well, that's exactly right. And you know, the thing that we do doesn't even have to require a lot of time, money, and energy. At the end of Restoring All Things, both John Stone Street and I tell a story out of our own lives that kind of make the point of the book. John tells a remarkable story of when he was a high, in high school. Uh, he uh, had, it, it really because he'd been cutting up in school, his teacher made him visit an older woman, what we used to call a shut-in, uh, and uh, as punishment for cutting up in class. But so John visited this woman who at that time was in, uh, probably seemed ancient to John, was in her 70s or even early 80s. And they just spent 30 minutes together, maybe an hour together. And John saw this woman a couple of years later, and, and John said, do you remember who I am? And the woman said, I have been praying for you every day since we first met. And that just, the woman's praying for him and then telling John that she had been doing that, that she cared enough about him to to pray for him every day. And John will tell you today that that changed the trajectory of his life. 
In my own life, I've got a story of my father who served in Korea. He was not a Christian believer whenever he was a 21-year-old infantryman on Heartbreak Ridge in Korea, but a Salvation Army worker whose name my father does not know, whose name is completely lost to history, uh, ministered to my father at a time of great need in his life. My father didn't become a Christian until 10 or 15 years later, but he always remembers the the act of compassion by this unnamed Salvation Army worker has been having been a defining experience in his life in leading him ultimately to Christ, which of course changed the trajectory of my life and my children's lives. We don't know how God is going to use our availability. Uh, it's not about our ability, as the old saying goes, but it truly is about our availability. Our job, our goal, our responsibility is just to be obedient and to let the Holy Spirit work from there. And I, I think that uh, great things will happen. In the Absolutely. World. And of course, through that act of obedience, Warren, can come uh, God executing on his plan for redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. Warren Smith, again, the book is called Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People, newly released by Baker Books and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, Amazon.com, and also through their website at restoringallthings.org. That's restoringallthings.org. And our thanks to Warren Smith for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, as you've been hearing on the station over the past many days, we have been focusing during specifically the month of October, though quite frankly, this ought to be something that we do throughout the year. If you think about Christmas on the 25th of December, yay! How about Christmas every day of the week? How about in the case of pastors, showing them appreciation every day of the week? Now, some folks might draw the conclusion, well, you know, I go to church on Sunday and when I greet pastor at the door on the way out, I always make sure I give him a bear hug or shake his hand and say, great sermon, pastor. So I'm doing my part. But are you really? And are there challenges that pastors are facing today, perhaps unseen to the congregation, but that nevertheless may even potentially become potential stumbling blocks to the future of their ministry. With some insights to these questions during Pastor Appreciation Month, Brian Kluth joins us. Brian is a spokesman on behalf of the NAA, the National Association of Evangelicals, for their emphasis on Bless Your Pastor. And Brian, great to have you with us. Hey, great to be on with you and your listeners. And we really want to give them some ideas and some encouragement on what they can do to become Jesus with skin on to bless their pastors and their church staff. Got some great resources and ideas, so uh, I think it should be a fun conversation. You bet. We'll spend some time talking about those resources as our discussion continues. But I want to begin with perhaps by um, opening a few eyes here. I mentioned earlier about the notion that some folks feel that, well, you know, I thank Pastor for a great sermon every Sunday morning. That ought to be adequate enough. We certainly see Pastor as not only a resource for instruction and teaching, as he's pastoring the sheep, so to speak, from the pulpit every Sunday. He's also the guy that we call, 
when there's a death in the family or when a relative is taken ill and we need someone to go to the home or to the hospital and to pray. We oftentimes lean on pastor in many ways in which we'd never think of putting the same sort of burden or obligation on any other individual. And with that, of course, comes a tremendous amount of burden. They oftentimes have a sort of divided allegiance between their own family and their church family and trying to kind of be adequate all across the board. And then when you couple that with just certain innate discouragements, whether maybe the budget didn't hit the right numbers for the month, and there are concerns about how are we going to make the mortgage to pay for the church building, uh, up to and including just pastoral burnout, where after years, sometimes decades of giving and loving and caring and praying and going and moving, pastors reach a point where they say, I'm just so used to giving, 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 and I don't feel like there's much on the receiving side, and I'm just tired. I'm just, I just feel like I'm ready to hang it up. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, the truth is, Barna Research puts that number right now, folks. Listening, listen to this number: forty-three percent of pastors have considered leaving the ministry in this past year. That number's up from uh, the previous high of twenty-nine percent the year before. But uh, COVID and all the weight of that and the racial tensions and so many things, the political divide, all those things contributed to making it incredibly difficult to pastor these last few years. And pastors are, uh, they may be smiling on Sunday morning, but when they get home, when they go home, they may be hurting on the inside and, and many people won't even be aware of it. I, I want to have you repeat that, Brian, because some folks listening are perhaps feeling as if maybe their radio glitched and they didn't quite catch that. Am I hearing you correctly when you say 43%, nearly, if we use some round numbers here, nearly one out of every two pastors in America today are considering, spent some time pondering the idea of just giving it up, walking away? Yes. Wow. Yes, it's it's a real it's a real concern, it's a real issue, and again, most Christians are just kind of oblivious to it. But you, but you have to realize something: the last couple of years, pastors had to make decisions. You know, there were there were there were mandates from the city and the county and the state, and and the, they and the leadership had to make decisions. And, and I'll tell you what: every decision they made. Uh, every decision they made, somebody wasn't happy. And it didn't matter which decision they made, because if they'd have made the decision decision A, then the people say, well, you should have made decision B. If you'd have made decision B, well, then others would say, well, you should have made decision A. And the angry texts and the angry voicemails and the angry in-your-face moments and people saying, I'm going to leave and I can't believe you're doing this and you don't love us. And wow, it was so difficult. And then with the with the racial divide that went on, I can't believe you didn't address this. And then if they did address it, I can't believe you're talking about this in the service. <laughs> so it was just crazy times and and then they had to like learn how to minister without without a church even being in session they had to do online stuff they had to do counseling online they couldn't even do funerals i mean wow 
all the difficulties, all the stressors of the last couple of years. And it's Pastor Appreciation Month right now, and 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 we have materials that can you can use in in October, but also November, December, and year round. But you know what? It's time to step up and fulfill First Thessalonians five twelve. Listen, listen to this verse. First Thessalonians five twelve says, "Show your deep appreciation for those who minister among you." God's call on every listener right now is God's desire is that you would step up, and we'll give you some ideas how to do that. And but show your deep appreciation for those who minister among you. Not just say it, but actually show it and express it, and and do it in tangible, creative, practical ways where your pastor spouse, staff, feel the love, feel the support like never before, because it's needed like never before. You know, and that's such an important point to make, because I think sometimes in the distraction of what has been the last two years, what between the impact of COVID, political turmoil in the country, riots, race relations, I mean, on and on the list goes. For folks that continue to go to church, it just seemed as if, well, that was the one sort of safe place the safe harbor that I could go to. Pastor was in the in the pulpit every Sunday morning. The the choir was there. The organist was there. Things seemed to all be just uh, quite routine and quite normal. Little did they realize the tumult, the turmoil that was taking place back behind the scenes. And oftentimes, so many pastors having to deal with not only how do we suddenly shift gears in ministry when it's a tactile, you know, intimate, personal, right? It's all, I mean, at the end of the day, the gospel is all about other people and about Christ. Well, how do you make that happen when people are not being allowed to meet together? So you got to kind of resolve that problem. And then on top of that, churches oftentimes establish a budget based on what uh, folks are coming into church and the size of the facility and what those kinds of needs are. Well, all of a sudden, half as many people are showing up because they're afraid of COVID or they're being driven away or it's become, sadly, a great excuse not to go to church, I'm sorry to say. And as a result, church incomes were impacted. And now churches are finding themselves having to make some very, very difficult decisions. Do we cut back on staff? Do we shut down? Maybe if we've got a Christian school, do we shut that down? I mean, the kind of pressure that pastors have been under in the last two years because of all of these circumstances that seemingly change day by day, not least of which... Brian Cluth, to mention just the pure battle with the enemy of our souls, right? That John 10, 10, the enemy out there seeking whom he may devour as he goes about as a walking lion. Well, you couple all those things together, and I suppose upon short examination, we can most readily see that the research that our friend George Barna did, concluding that nearly one out of every two pastors is considering hanging up Uh, their pastoral ministry, I guess it really does become a very stark and hopefully awakening reality. Yeah, it's, it's, it's real. And the good news is we've got some solutions. I I mean, that's why I love what I get to do uh, in life is encourage and equip and empower Christians and churches 
to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And we've had grant-funded resources to do that. And uh, we have what's called easy as one, two, three, to bless your pastor. Easy as one, two, three, three very, very simple steps at blessyourpastor.org. And when churches go there, they get these one, two, three steps, uh, and we can talk about those in a little bit here. But uh, they can use that in October, they can use it in November, they can use it in December, whatever fits in the schedule. And when your church does, when you, when you, the, if you're listening right now, if you help your church do this, get the free materials, pass it along to the, not the pastor, but to the leaders and the office staff. When that happens, we will give your pastor a $200 gift card and a $350 marriage retreat. I was just with a pastor the other day. He said, Brian, I've been a pastor for 40 years. I've never been able to go to a marriage retreat. And you're telling me now you're going to give me a gift to go to a marriage retreat? I said, absolutely. So everybody listening right now, you have the opportunity to be the solution, be Jesus with skin on, to help some incredible things happen, to see your pastor blessed and loved and supported. And you know what? A thriving pastor leads to a thriving ministry. A discouraged pastor leads to a discouraged ministry. Brian, let's pause here for just a brief moment. If you've just joined us, we're visiting today with Brian Kluth, national spokesperson with the National Association of Evangelicals for the Bless Your Pastor movement. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the discussion. Brian Kluth is with us today. He's with the National Association of Evangelicals, spokesperson for the Bless Your Pastor movement. October is Pastor Appreciation Month. So we're talking a bit about what's going on in this month and most importantly, how you can bless your pastor. Now, Brian, let's pick up things where we left off just a moment ago. So it really becomes bless him as he blesses you. And you know, there was that mandate, if you love me, feed my sheep. And that's what pastors are all about doing. They love Christ. They want to feed the sheep. They want to care for the congregation. And let's face it, at the core, the life, the heartbeat of ministry is the local church. And so often, Brian, many of these men and women, they they serve under not only the difficult circumstances that surround them, such as what we've been discussing in our visit here today, but then you add to that financial pressures of whether or not the church is making budget. And then we also sometimes fail to recognize, guess what? As he's training up a child and helping us do the same for our kids, oftentimes pastor has his own family that he's caring for that subsequently takes sort of a backseat because, you know, it, it, it's hard to spend time, uh, you know, on the basketball cur- court with your uh, 15-year-old son when now you've got the cell phone ringing and a member of your congregation that's been a part of that body for 30 years is saying, my mother was just in a horrible accident. They don't think she's going to make it through the night. Can you come quickly, Pastor? And you know what Pastor does? He drops what he's doing and he runs from his family to go meet the immediate needs of someone else's family. And those are certain realities that I think we we kind of take for granted. And so an opportunity to, to bless Pastor, to encourage him, to be able to take some of the tools and resources available through blessyourpastor.org. And um, Brian, you spoke earlier to the 50 creative ways to bless your pastor and church. 
staff. Maybe you could take a moment and um, kind of pull back the curtain on that to help our listeners better understand some of these ways and how they can right now be thinking about creative ways that aren't technically involved, that don't particularly cost a ton of money, but that can be very effective ways to not only showing pastors some love, but also providing pastors some help and encouragement that they so desperately need. Yeah, you bet. I I became a pastor when I was 45 years old. I was in a different career field prior to that. But I took a $70,000 pay cut to become a pastor. I went from 120000 to 50000 overnight with my young family, moved them to Colorado. And I was like, how are we going to do this? You know, but what happened was my church loved me so well. They loved me and my wife and my children, and they did creative things to care for us. It wasn't about the church budget or the, the salary. It was it was the love of the people. And, and on this 50 ways list, I wrote this based on my experiences in a great church with loving people, but one little thing was a list of how to pray for me, and on the 50 ways list is how to pray for your pastor, how to pray for his, his family, his marriage, his study, his walk with God, his relationships, his leadership, his finances, things like that. Uh, there's, and there's practical ideas, what can you do, and I want to give everyone listening right now the most practical thing you can do that I guarantee you will bless your pastor, he'll feel loved and supported and cared for, and it's as simple as this. You're in the grocery store, you're in the gas station, you look to the right, you look to the left, you see a rack of gift cards, go up to the rack, look them over, there's Home Depot, there's Lowe's, there's Starbucks, there's Olive Garden, there's Outback, you know, uh, whatever there's, whatever's there, grab a gift card, and then whatever amount of money you want to put on it, put some money on it, Take it home, put it with a little note, Pastor, love you, appreciate you, praying for you, you know, care about you and your family. Give that to your pastor, put it in the offering plate or do something, and you know what? You will have blessed your pastor. It can be that simple. You know what? I've known a, I had a pastor recently said, Brian, I have not taken my wife on a dinner date for a year because we couldn't afford it. We couldn't afford, he said, all we did, we went on two dates last year, we could afford Starbucks, that was it. And he said, Brian, if, if, and he, cause he had some kids, and he said, I could, we couldn't afford the babysitting. But he said, Brian, do you know what it mean to me if I had a trusted family or person that would watch my, my children, and then someone would give us a gift card to go out for a dinner? He said, that would have made all the difference in my ministry last year. I would have felt so loved and supported, but he said, it never happened. You know, the other thing I want to just quickly comment on here, I've heard from pastors that November 1st is the saddest day of their ministry. November 1st is the saddest day of the year of their ministry, and you know why? Because some of you people are listening right now, and you're like, well, we don't ever do anything for our pastor. You're right, a lot of churches don't. And what happens is that, and one pastor told me, he said, Brian, I wait all month in October, wondering is this the year someone's going to do something, someone's going to organize something, someone's going to do anything to bless me and my family. And he said, I wait all month, and then November 1st rolls around, and no one did anything, no one said anything, no one blessed us in any special way. And then he says, I just think to myself, well, why, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why should I continue? Nobody cares, no one's grateful. And folks, if you're listening right now, and, and you know your church hasn't done anything, or you know you've never done anything, you can change that. Blessyourpastor.org, 
gives you everything you need to change it. You know, we're not selling anything. We're not marking anything. We're just giving you free resources to help make some incredible things happen. And, you know, Brian, I want to say something. I, I want to say something, Brian, specifically to uh, to listeners. Uh, we've all had uh, the, the, heard the story, the old adage, um, the, the husband comes home to the wife and she's there at the table crying her eyes out. Honey, what happens? Oh, I found out that my girlfriend got a beautiful bouquet of flowers from her husband and you never do that for me. How do I know you love me? And the husband responds as most of us typically do. Well, honey, of course I love you. I married you, didn't I? <laughs> I, you know, I, I illustrate that because I think that resonates with all of us. And yet, here's what I want to say. Just because you shake pastor's hand at the door on the way out or have showed up for service or even dropped an offering in the plate doesn't mean that the pastor knows that you appreciate him. The question that so many pastors ask at the end of every sermon, you may not know this, but I think at least certainly the pastors I know, almost every one of them at every end of a sermon, questions in their own mind and their own heart. Have I done my job? Have I made a difference? Did the words that I speak today deliver truth and life and hope of the gospel to those within hearing? And your pastor wants to do a good job, but he can't do it alone. And his family can't do it alone either. You know, we talked earlier about pastor being called away from a uh, game of hoops with his son to go minister to a congregation member. Um, oftentimes the wives feel that they are widows, that they are widows uh, to the church because pastor is gone, their husband is gone so often. When you think about blessing pastor, think about the wife too. Maybe setting something up to send her off with a couple of lady friends to a day spa, just something to get away, to feel refreshed, but most importantly to be to have that feeling of being loved and appreciated as well because every pastor's wife Every pastor's family, they make their own sacrifices for the health and well-being of your church, your congregation as well. And again, Brian, as you point out, this doesn't have to be terribly complicated nor terribly expensive. There's a whole list of 50 creative ways to bless your pastor and staff available to you right now when you go to blessyourpastor.org. That's blessyourpastor.org. October is Pastor Appreciation Month, culminating on that November 1st date and an opportunity for you to say, yeah, this year, let's do something real and significant and really show pastor how much we love him or her, what they mean to this church, and how we can just one time a year, one period a year, go out of our way to show them an extra degree of love. And and maybe if we do so and do so in a, an effective and consistent way, Brian, that those numbers of uh, 43% of pastors seriously considering leaving their vocational ministry, maybe we can turn those numbers around. Yeah, I've, I've had pastors tell me that have been part of that their church did the blessyourpastor.org one, two, three program. They said, you know what? I was getting ready to leave. I was getting ready to resign. That happened. I realized people loved me. I realized I was making a difference. And they've said, I stayed 
simply because of my church that did the blessyourpastor.org. And again, it can be done in October, November, or December. And when your church does the one, two, three, when you are, when you help your church do that, pastor get a $200 gift card and a $350 marriage retreat because you stepped up into this moment and, and did something and, um, and got the ball rolling uh, with the office staff and the, and some church leaders. So thank you. Thank you for listening. But more importantly, don't be just a hearer of the word. Be a doer. Step up. Go to blessyourpastor.org. Make it happen at your church and for your pastor and staff. Thank you. Let me mention, by the way, that Family Life Marriage Retreat is invaluable. And if you think about any relationship that's under the attack and assault of the enemy in America today, certainly the enemy would benefit greatly if he can tear marriages apart. And so a retreat that can help give a pastor and his wife a little bit of a tune-up and uh, breathe some fresh life and, and joy into their relationship is only going to benefit not just that marriage relationship, but the entire congregation. And so this is a great way for you to be able to do that. And the best part is, as Brian just mentioned, that dynamic is no cost to you or your congregation whatsoever. So in my mind, you have zero excuses. You just need to go to the web blessyourpastor.org that's blessyourpastor.org and get more information and uh, get engaged get plugged in make a difference and uh, you can take again that, that easy as one two three approach that uh, in very short order can make a real difference in the life of your pastor and ultimately in the life of your congregation blessyourpastor.org our thanks to Brian Cluth an AE spokesperson with the Bless Your Pastor Outreach Brian, thank you so much for sharing not only this program, the ministry, but also spending some time sharing from your heart today. Hey, we are grateful uh, for your partnership, friendship, and for getting the word out about this blessyourpastor.org website and free materials. And uh, thank you, and God bless you, your listeners, and their pastors. Brian Cluth, National Spokesperson with the National Association of Evangelicals, blessyourpastor.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.